What the If is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If Springtime Edition. Approaching May. The ifs are in bloom. That's not why my allergies are so bad. I was, I was about to say that's why people are sneezing all over the world. Ha if ha if, gazif tight. Hey, um, that uh, is uh, Professor Matthew Stanley, historian of science. Um, at uh, the New York Uni- is it technically the New York University or just New York? It is just New York University. Okay. Um, some schools do have strong feelings about their thes, um, uh, but uh, we are not one of them. Right, right. I always you know, find it interesting that New York City actually is technically the city of New York. That is correct. Yeah, and on the flag it says that and things like that. But uh, um, but that the the city of does. If it, yeah, if it was anything, it would have to be the city of the New York. City. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the city of New York, as we move uptown towards the more classier divisions from not the New York University is not a classy place. I went there, but it's a little downtown. It's down the village. Yeah. We move upside to, towards not really the Upper East Side, but Midtown East, so New York. Um, the lovely environs of Rockefeller University, we find Gabby Panicia. Virologist, how are you? I am good. Single-handedly declassing the joint um, <laughs> in my <laughs> academic career. Uh, we are actually one of the stickler the universities. We tend to be as like it's uh, like fifty-fifty. Some places like I'll be trying to like sign up for like a I don't know some software or something, and they won't have the Rockefeller University, but they'll have Rockefeller University. But on all the university stuff, it's the Rockefeller University. Uh, yeah, wow. that's interesting. Don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's on the the building that's like above the FDR. I can see it just like a corner of it, and it's yeah. They still have the the on it. <laughs> the um, also a great band, isn't it? Isn't there a band called the 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 the? Probably, I think so. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed, indeed. Um, we have a, a a wonderful idea for our if this week, and I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, um, I was watching Foundation recently. Isaac Asimov series, which has been uh, reimagined on uh, Apple TV um, quite wonderfully, I think. And um, uh, and spring happens to be blooming here in the uh, northern hemisphere, and so and and civilization happens to be on the collapse. So uh, um, maybe uh, Gabby, could you give us a just a tee up? What is uh, today's if going to be about? Yeah, so our if is that, you know, if society just entirely collapsed, um, no framework for, you know, anything that we have currently, like, existing, again, how do you rebuild it? You know, what do you have to do to get everything back to the way that it is now? Right. Yeah, so let me, oh, good. You know what, let me throw in some music to that. Uh, I'm recovering from COVID. Speaking of rebounding from total collapse, uh, I got go after after trying to outrun COVID 
for what two years or something like that the darn mm -hmm. thing caught up to me um i couldn't be more vaccinated and boosted and all that kind of stuff but uh everybody's getting it now apparently so flu-like symptoms and i'm on the recovery and uh so this little piece of music i'm about to play will wake me up and everybody else what the if no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sometimes that music just calls to me. <laughs> that's that's the music for our mailbag. Uh, let me come back from the mailbox and ask today's scenario. Uh, what the if? It was your job. It's quite a responsibility to help society come back from total collapse. Society fell into a stupor, ate a bunch of potatoes, fell down on a sofa for about a thousand years. And it's your job to get things moving again. Uh, it, just to kick off, I just have to throw it out there. Um, one of my favorite... Um, expressions was, uh, I've, I've repeated this story before, but I'll do it one more time. Uh, Richard Feynman, uh, it, was he alleged to it? Is this apocryphal, Matt, or is it true? I believe Richard Feynman said it, he was, I don't know why he challenged himself or somebody challenged him. If he could have one, what's the most amount of information he could get into the shortest number of words to give the most value to a civilization. They needed to get something. And, and mm -hmm. basically it was the sentence, everything is made of atoms. Yeah, know, and was, he, he elaborated a little bit more than that. But yes, that's a, a true story. Um, he thought that would be the, 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 the most helpful thing for jump-starting science. Right. And it strikes me that, you know, I, I don't know, the, do you happen to know the backstory there? I knew, I do know that he worked on the atomic bomb, so that might have been... Uh, I do not, um, but he was a, um, let's see here, expansive thinker. He liked to um, uh, grapple with unusual ideas. Yeah, so not, yeah, yeah. Not out of the realm of his, uh, his general area of thinking about weird stuff. And some of you may have heard this story before. I think I told it recently, but I was uh, was once invited to teach a kindergarten class about Albert Einstein and uh, and physics, and um, and I decided to uh, teach them about atoms, um, um, inspired by this sentence. Oh, if I had to teach one, what if this kindergarten class <laughs> were the uh, the entire future i mean this would have been a good class this is a real this is a great magnet school mm -hmm. it was a science school in in uh, brooklyn they they uh, they had a pet rabbit a big white fuzzy rabbit that they named einstein so they were if i had to choose a group to revivify society i would choose this wonderful group ps10 i think it was called and uh, anyway i decided to teach them uh, that everything is made of atoms, and and I went ahead and did so. I feel successfully using liberal use of uh, funny pictures of Einstein, including the one of him sticking his tongue out, and then I had them all imitate the picture, and they <laughs> thought that was a blast. And um, <clears throat> everything is made of atoms. And then um, the principal happened to come in at the end, and I was like, uh-oh. So now we're going to get a, we're going to quantify this. We're going to see, did this work? And the principal says, well, children, what did... Uh, what did Mr. Shane teach you today? And uh, one of them stands up and he says, we learned that 
everything is made of Phillips. <laughs> and everybody's laughing and I'm like oh my god did I what egomania was I overcome by some sort of uh, egomaniacal impulse and I taught them that and uh, he then apologized after making a face and he says oh, oh Adams Adams and he pointed <laughs> to his friend and he says my friend's name is Adam and then I mixed it up so everything is made of Phillips um, that is, just tells you how fraught with danger <laughs> this this process is could easily go awry. However, mm. you know what the names of things. In fact, Richard Feynman would have really. I, I got to say this. He, he would have appreciated that. His, he tells a wonderful story of how his father took him out and uh, were walking. They were walking through the park or something, and the father, his father, would point at different birds and he'd say, uh, "What do you know about that bird and that bird?" And the young Richard Feynman would say, uh, "I don't know," or you know, "It's a robin or whatever." And he says, all your friends, they're going to tell you all the names. They're going to tell you how, look, try to look out, show you how smart they are because they know the names of all the birds and all the parts of the birds. And he says, it's meaningless. Those are just names. Truly knowing something is knowing how it works. And things like that. So you're going to revive society. Um, Gabby, where do you, be, well, first of all, how bad are, how, you know, I, I feel like for this if, let's set the stage. You know, how much has been lost? Yeah, so I feel like let's not go cataclysmic with this, right? Okay. So let's let's not assume that this has been lost to nuclear war or something like that, where right. it's just like, for some reason, society collapses, it's like disease or something like that. Right. So that, such that our cities are kind of left rotting, our, the, most of the people who would know how to say operate a hydroelectric dam hmm. Uh, hmm. aren't doing that. Uh, a lot of our infrastructure is no longer uh, viable in anything other than a purely physical sense, meaning that gutters will probably still, you know, funnel rainwater. Um, but anything more complicated like, you know, sewage treatment plants are really not going to function. Um, so the only thing that you're going to have is, is, you know, set back really like, you know, 200, 300 years. Um, and then, you know, just kind of assuming that we have no other standing society around that. Right. Not right. fully caveman, I'll, I'll say, but, you know, think about the average person you pull off the street who probably doesn't know how to make a car from scratch or doesn't know much medicine other than you have a fever, take some Tylenol, and certainly can't make Advil on their own. Um, so that's the, sort of what I'm imagining as far as the situation goes. The, the car, is you mentioned right. car or something like that. I always find that fascinating, that like the idea, and, and there's a lot of science fiction books like this where the machines all exist, but nobody knows why they work or how they, they just know enough to barely kind of keep maintaining them, for instance. Yeah. So cars would be very hard to do that with, right? <laughs> and keeping your yeah. bicycle running is one thing, oh, um, interesting. but cars yeah. are fantastically complicated systems, right? You need yeah. to have somebody manufacturing spare parts and somebody processing the oil and getting the oil from point A to point B. Right. Um, uh, there's a lot there. So yeah, cars aren't going to last very long. And a flow cytometer is right out. That's right <laughs> out. <laughs> Advanced <laughs> science is just... Donezo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, now in Foundation, the idea is, uh, now I'm only a, a few episodes in, so I don't know the entire story, um, but it's like, it seems like they've, uh, there's something called the vault or something. Anyway, there's something that seems to, it's this thing that contains a lot of information. You can imagine in, in, in the early, in the beginning of this story, Harry Selden, this 
the guy who predicts the the end of civilization says uh, we should gather everything. He says he points to the library of the uh, in the capital city. He says this this library has you know a tremendous amount of knowledge in it, but it will burn if society collapses. So his idea is to gather a lot of information together. Um, so that's one way to do it, and we have things like that in the world now. Actually, right there are uh, there are archives. Yeah, modeled on this kind of thinking. Yeah, and in fact, I should say the the original encyclopedia that Diderot makes back in the 18th century um, was conceived of in exactly this way. That is, uh, really? if, if there was a great destruction of civilization, the encyclopedia would help people rebuild. Um, so this this idea that the right thing to do to rebuild from civilization is to have a big pile of info uh, is fairly old. When you say the original encyclopedia, do you mean there there was a book that was encyclopedia? It was, it was in, called the encyclopedia. Yeah, <laughs> that is where the word comes from. Yeah. Fascinating. Now I know other civilizations have had codex, for instance. Well, codex is just a a, a, a kind of book, just a, a physical book. What you think of as a book is a codex, bound on one side and with pages, as opposed to a scroll. Right, um, a scroll or a papyrus, just one big piece of paper that you write lots of stuff on, and then a codex has individual pages that you 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 sew up the side. See, one of the things that this whole thing made, immediately made me think of is, you know, you have all of this knowledge, right? But you kind of need somebody to safeguard it. Because one mm -hmm. of the things that I immediately think of is, well, people are going to not teach each other how to read anymore. Yeah. Um, if you've got no way of storing books successfully, um, <laughs> teaching each other to read is kind of a moot point. Isn't so, so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard one of the sort of more, it's popped up a lot, is sort of like a priesthood related to one of these things. Uh, most commonly, I see it pop up in um, like the atomic priesthood idea. Mm -hmm. Um, where essentially, you know, if you're trying to get people to stay away from nuclear sites, you develop some yeah, sort of right. priesthood that's mm -hmm. uh, sort of teaching about why and maintaining that these sites are not to be interfered with. Um, so kind of similarly for knowledge, you probably have to have a group of people whose job it is explicitly to, to maintain this um, and at least continue to teach each other how to read it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that sounds right. And that's, I think, actually one of the... Uh, another one of the the classic rebuilding civilization novels, uh, Canticle for Leibowitz, uh, a little later than than Foundation, um, has that kind of theme. And, and there, it's kind of an unintentional thing. It just so happens that Catholic monks are the ones who preserve that knowledge and, and pass it on from generation to generation. Um, and then in Foundation, it's it's more explicit um, as a, a group who are who are trying to protect that knowledge and, and teach the next group of folks um, so it lasts. Not to mention the greatest of all, uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, you know, it's a little bit more complicated. It comes in digital form, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you may need to put a fish in your ear to understand all of it and things like that. But um, uh, is this... I feel like the problem with that is it's kind of interesting that how that is such old I never thought of it this way but really old ways of thinking the idea of this book a book or just anything physical object um I can see why as opposed to some distributed digital something something I mean obviously mm -hmm. the whole point is that if a society collapses that 
digital and electricity. Maybe you're trying to find something that's super analog and not even, you know, doesn't rely on the electricity of any kind or complicated storage or retrie- retrieval. Mm-hmm. However, um, it it seems so limited to by place. So here's the here's the thing I would suggest is that if you're gonna and maybe this is something where you know our friend uh, Jeff Bezos or somebody can help us out with or Elon Musk or one of these people. Um, let's yes, let's make the physical book. You know the book of uh, how to reboot your civilization, mm-hmm. uh, the whole Earth catalog. <laughs> One might say, so to speak, yeah, another yeah. one, mm-hmm. and um, but and create it in hardened form, you know, and but then very widely distributed. Like it, sh- there should be, it could be very uh, yeah. small, mm-hmm. perhaps, mm-hmm. Um, or it could be more like uh, what we distribute is a is a key or a brochure or some indicator that tells you where to go at least to get the bigger versions uh, of well, it. Well, yeah, that's a that's a good because there's two strategies, right? Yeah. Well, at least. Um, one is make your repository of knowledge really robust yeah. um, so it can survive everything. So that's the foundation model, right? Um, and then the other model, which I guess is was kind of the reasoning behind the internet, is to make so many copies of the thing that you want that one of those is guaranteed to survive, even some kind of cataclysm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the price of the distributed model is that you have to be more efficient in your knowledge, right? It, it can't be as long. Like you said, it's a pamphlet. And pamphlets, I don't know. Rebuilding all of civilization via a pamphlet, that's tricky. Yeah, Right, right. Yeah. In Go my ahead. head, sort of the best way that you have for this is robust stores, multiple locations. So it's not like a single vault up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Like. In my head, I'm just thinking, well, if you make it essentially some sort of priesthood, monkish kind of thing, something where there's like a, this person is now dedicated to the preservation of all stuff in a vault, all categories of it, and copying it, because that is a common Hmm. sort of monastic task is copying information. Well, then you have people who can just go to other places as well. Um, So a single uh, repository of information through people who travel to you know share that information might mm. be then able to have a farther reach without necessarily compromising how much information you're get actually giving people okay. um, like you yeah. would if you had a pamphlet because if the world ended and all you have is a pamphlet even <laughs> if everybody has the same pamphlet you can't add more information to it um to be clear i was oh, saying that the, point. the yeah. pamphlet would would be instructions as to where to go to get more okay that's, that's so a strategy it, it was literally more mm-hmm. like a like, like a an brochure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, or pamphlet. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, and that's actually, those are two interesting strategies, right? So Gabby is suggesting a um, center out model where you train people and those people dif- diffuse the information. And Philip, you're suggesting a, an outside in model where there is a centralized point and you try to get everybody to go to that. Right. Um, right. And those would be quite different societies actually right yeah. do we have a, a society that is outward looking or inward looking um uh, so that could have quite serious consequences you know it also strikes me and this is i dare say i don't know possibly realistic possibly doable that i, I just had an image of like the current the data farms not data farms the data centers that uh facebook owns and google owns right that the the 
the gigantic warehouses full of store uh, servers and uh, hard drives, um, <laughs> half of which are now being converted to mining Bitcoin. Um, but these massive, they're built to be incredibly, they're incredibly hardened, right? Because Google doesn't want, you know, their Asian uh, uh, server going down, for instance, whatever. So, um, <clears throat> and the uh, they're even building them uh, for for heat reasons and also just for preservation and security, building them at the bottom of the ocean now. And I mean, there's all kinds of things. Oh, really? Like, oh, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, cool. because the, the, you know, the very frigid waters help tremendously with the heat sure. situation. Yeah. And it's also secure and, uh, and is directly connected to the inner sea cables. And they're experimenting with this. Facebook's been mm -hmm. experimenting with this. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just looked this up. Apparently in 2016, they sunk an entire data center to the bottom of the Scottish Sea. Yeah. Uh, it's like 27.6 petabytes of storage. No, um, and it's apparently a success. So yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I had not heard yeah. about that. Yeah, Facebook building giant facilities on in you know underwater in the ocean. What about it? Nothing super villain about that at all. Yeah, <laughs> who gets the top of the volcano? <laughs> like exactly. Um, but uh, the other thing interesting about those facilities is that they will be hot for a very long time. So, um, and I've driven up. You know, I've been out. Um, a friend of mine lives out in the Las Vegas area, and uh, there's a huge facility, or out there in New Mexico, there's a bunch of these things. And, uh, you know, you can see them in the as you drive through the desert. You can see them miles and miles away, obviously. They just look like gigantic, you know, one-story warehouse kind of things. But um, I could imagine those, they're hardened already, right? So let's say this, they're hardened. And I can imagine a situation where you're guided to those, and... You, when you get there, they're, the whole point, I must say, for better or worse, of you know these guys who build the, these software services is ease of use, right, to the uninitiated. So they have all the languages. And right, the, the amount of information and intelligence behind these things is astounding, right? I mean, Google can translate anything now. And so I can yeah, imagine but whether, there's a but terminal. That's the, yeah, that's but that's the trick, right? It's can you can because presumably the people are getting to this place not ten years after the collapse of civization, but a thousand or ten thousand. Right. Um, but don't so you think if Mark Zuckerberg yeah. wanted you to log into his thing, no matter how many millennia <laughs> after he's gone, he will he will entice. There'll be a cat gif. There's something. What is so? Here's what is it? What is it that lures the people well, to the terminal? Well, but this is the this is actually a really difficult problem. And, and Gabby alluded to earlier is the the people who are thinking about these kinds of problems now are not Mark Zuckerberg. They're the people trying to keep future generations from cracking open nuclear waste storage uh, sites right, right, right. Uh, because those will be dangerous for right. tens of thousands of years um so <laughs> so the cat to, video so, that's right so it. the so the problem is the problem is really simple uh with the the waste repositories is you need to tell people not to go there right? yeah so and that turns out to be extremely difficult <laughs> to do so if we can't even do that i don't think there's any way we're getting somebody to log into uh really you don't think no, no way it's yeah. is my thought i mean think about it right because if society's entirely collapsed who's maintaining your tablet that you're like you know tapping into this thing with your usb stick oh no i like, mean you you've gone to you sorry you you've gone to the actual facility 
So th that's the thing. You, you've been told to get there. Somehow you, you're guided there, right? And it would look like, clearly it's an important place, right? I mean, if you saw it now, you'd say, yeah, that's, it lo they look more like military facilities than anything. And so you would be drawn, now it seems trivial. As you say, it's hard to keep people out. That's a different challenge. But if this is a, a place of information that we want people to get in, I can imagine it being, the, I mean, even just a flashing light would lure people into the right spot where then they would be shown a screen. Now, the huge challenge immediately becomes what's on the screen? How are you, right now it's a whole thing. Of, again, you're back to conveying. Here's my secondary energy. counter, right? How do you guarantee that the people speak the same language as whatever you're still putting up there? And I'm not saying like, oh, you, you well, have you multiple don't. languages. No, no, no. I mean that language will change. Right, language exactly. Language will fundamentally drift over time. We so, have to assume like, that you won't. That's right. If you have a group of people whose dedicated job is translating knowledge that's been already, but like you have, I feel like you have to have some sort of human interface, right? Because mm -hmm, right. if you set this up, assuming a certain amount of static, like this is always going to be the baseline for humanity, you're always going to run into problems. Like, right. for example, if I try to read a book from 1300, that kind of like middle English is going to completely nuke me. I'm going to be like, what the hell is this? I have a hard enough time reading Jane Austen. That's right. And I know all of the words <laughs> well, here, that are in it. Here's the problem. You get to the, you get to the giant Google data center, right? And there's a flashing light and you go in and all of a sudden you, you walk into a room and woo, a screen comes on and you're in trance because like some magical display is happening, right? And it's this super friendly thing. It's friendly colors. It's primary colors. You know, let's say that may or may not be alarming to you in your current civilization, but uh, and then immediately, all you see is a white box, and there's a flashing line in it, and it's asking for your. You have to create an account, or something, <laughs> and you're just. You have no idea what's going on. Just enter your backup email. That yeah. this is. I'm sure, actually, I would say that for all the so-called brilliance of the people who design our internet these days. How annoying is it that you go to a thing and it's still like, no, I just want the information. You know, you're going to make me do something. And then, of course, it doesn't work anyway. What's the password? Uh, oh, your password hasn't been changed in 10,000 years. Please create a new one. <laughs> We've sent a link to your phone to reset yeah. your password. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So here, here's fun. Here's a fun thing, actually. I guess I can imagine it. This is where it immediately gets hard. What's the video? What's the what's on the screen? that helps the people get to the next level. Um, and you got to assume the screen itself needs to be hardened in some way because I could imagine the people freak out and try to smash the screen, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, if we accept that the, the screen has survived without maintenance for thousands of years, um, true, then true. Uh, let's see here, we could try to do it Ikea style. So instead of words, uh, we have diagrams. <laughs> There's right, an so Allen have... wrench. <laughs> Just tucked away in the corner. Yeah. Uh, we've got videos of people um, smelting iron. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, that, might, uh, that might work better than, than words. Um, still not unproblematic, as anyone who has tried to build an IKEA. Or, or a smelting. Past, right? Yeah. Or smelting. Smelting Um I do love that. But essentially what you're saying is YouTube, I'm trying to do this in the most budget-friendly fashion with using mm -hmm. using off-the-shelf materials. And so what you're saying is possibly YouTube um, could be, uh, we may have a lot of stuff ready to go to rebuild civilization. So you come upon YouTube. 
um, and you see the smelting ore thing, and if again at first that's got to you you don't know what to think about that. Um, yeah, that's right. Because if you don't understand the concept of you know controlled combustion, um, mm, then that's mm. not going to help. And if you don't understand that um, ores can be certain kinds of rocks can be changed into different forms, then that right. also won't mean anything to you. Right. Um, so the trick with the, the video repository is, is calibrating it to the right level of people. And of course you don't know, you don't know where these people are going to be at. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, I will say this cause I watch a lot of YouTube. I love YouTube for educational uh, stuff. Um, it tries to figure out what you want and it's not too bad. You know, it, it takes a few tries, but once you, um, the algorithm, once you start watching something and it notices you watched it all the way through and then it'll immediately play another thing like it. It, it, it just sort of basically watches what you watched at length versus what you didn't watch at all and starts to give you more of that kind of thing. And so it's kind of, that's kind of fascinating, you know, um, with the interesting addition that, let us assume, this isn't entirely true either, <laughs> let's assume that our current YouTube, the real YouTube, doesn't have a, isn't goal directed towards teaching you something or making you do something. But this thing <laughs> would right. be, and that's where you get into an interesting challenge. Um, what, if, if you're programming the, the algorithm for those videos, Gabby, what do you think? How is it you want to slowly nudge people towards a positive direction? I have no idea. I'm in the camp that I think, I don't think the screen <laughs> thing is particularly going to work. Oh, I mean, oh interesting. Okay. Because, I, I mean, one of the things that in my thought is, is like, okay, you play, you, you give a resource that fully is under control of the user to interact with in a space where resources are scarce. Congratulations. You've just created a thing that one tribe is going to fight to the death to control <laughs> and like sure they can poke around with it and figure out what's going on and you know get maybe an edge on other groups it's going to you're probably going to watch some sort of civilization spring up around it to the exclusion of of right, others right right um yeah because you know think about it if you realize you can make fire first because you watched this yeah. you're going to be able to like all of a sudden light fires um Oh, that's probably going to attract other people. But if you've gotten to the far, like the part of like metalsmithing, and all of a sudden you can make weapons, congratulations! You are better armed than everyone with a stick out there in the wilderness, mm -hmm. and suddenly all, you're able to like fortify this. You know, I don't know this this whatever digital is, yeah. temple place. <laughs> right. Um, I so don't, in, in my head, I'm imagining a lot of conflict around this. I don't know how I never saw this. This is how prescient Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick were. The monolith in 2001. Now, I have noticed that it does look like a phone. A number of people have made funny <laughs> gifts about that, right? But I don't know if I've seen anyone who... You can imagine the, the ape, the proto-human, uh, he touches, um, touches the monolith, and up comes a video of uh, how to use bones to beat, you know, to <laughs> knock out water buffalo that you want to eat. And then that is, and this is what would happen on video. That would be followed up by a right-wing video of how to use the bone to beat the guy at the, uh, down, the other guy down that who's trying to steal the watering hole, you know. 
Um, and then yeah, you watch and more and more that, of those videos. <laughs> that's actually one of the themes of Foundation, too. So, spoiler, uh, uh, um, uh -huh. is that uh, Harry Seldon, the guy who sort of makes the, who creates the Foundation, understands this is going to happen mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. organizes the Foundation in such a way that um, it uses it, it creates conflict and uses that as an opportunity to spread the knowledge further. Oh. Um, and that's one of the I think that's one of the cleverer parts of foundation for me is that it's it's um, the, the it's it's designed with human greed and um, viciousness yeah. in mind. One of the cleverest things about foundation to me is the pun on the word foundation. I am guessing Isaac Asimov worked for or had to get money from foundations. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and then he makes fun of all the people who run the foundation, you know. Yeah, go, go, go ahead, Gun. Uh, no, I was just going to say that, you know, that kind of exchange that Matt described is that, yeah, I mean, that's very common throughout human history. The amount of things that people have discovered or exchanged kind of just through fighting each other. Um, you know, yeah. somebody leaves yeah. something behind, you break into someone's house and you're like, oh my God, they've got cool stuff. Um, that is how a lot of humanity <laughs> has advanced. Um, so we yeah, have gone to the moon because of mm -hmm. rockets. Yeah, and, we were in conflict yeah. with another nation. So yeah. 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 Well, even the rockets themselves were designed under, you know, a previous war um, yeah. by the Germans and things like mm -hmm. that. So, um, <clears throat> so Gabby, so you're saying, you know, the video thing is not you don't like this. Um, what might uh, what might work? I'm sort of under the the thing that you you do definitely need some sort of person interface oh, uh -huh. for this. Um, I think leaving it entirely up to people to pick and choose what they take from this technology is, is going to be a little bit weird. Like, yeah, sure, you can have like a really, really good algorithm that's trying to guide it. Um, but it would have to be really, really good to understand what they're going to pick up. Because um, just thinking of YouTube's current algorithm, you can really wind up down a rabbit hole very fast. Um, and if you start someone from fire to nuclear fission, you're that's going to be a little bit fast. Like, even if you do it in the space of a year's worth of videos, that person's not going to be able to catch up. They're going to be like, what the hell is so going on? When you say person guy, do you mean a teacher there in the present, in the day? Yeah, that's... something like that. Some mm. sort of translator or what have or you. Or a robot think, or... Well, I'm imagining a person because uh -huh. also too, like what I said about language is that, you know, if you're having people come in to get information, you could fit a lot much more information if you have somebody narrating a video. But they're not going right. to be able to understand yeah. the narration. Mm -hmm. So people who essentially either grow up around it and can pick up on language because human beings are great like that right. um, or somebody whose dedicated job is learning that language can get a lot more nuance fit into what they teach other people and how other people learn. Um, and so I, I just I think that this is kind of a general thing with people is that we do better if there's another person. But so, um, so where is how is, how does that work? So that, I'm missing the connection between the war sure is finally over. How, how do we find that first teacher or yeah? It could be part of setting up this whole thing. Say uh, you've got yeah. this whole Google thing that you want to have happen, and you're like, this is the going to be the bastion of knowledge for the future. Then you have a couple of families that you set up on that compound and you're like, your job oh, wow. is yeah. to learn what's in here yes. to become kind of like librarians for this mm -hmm. and then help people get the information they need. So when society collapses, you already have a structure of these okay. people are used to interfacing with it and whatnot. And they themselves might become the first society to spring back up around it because 
they already are kind of familiar with it. Um, they'd be the people that know how to fix a car, who know how to farm, um, who know how to, you know, tie a tourniquet. Um, but then they'd also be able to interface with other people who might come to the site. Um, I love this idea. And yeah, it, it sounds it like is, a good plan. Yeah, like the librarian one. priesthood. I, it's very cool. Um, it it is, and and it is it is, I guess as you mentioned, it, there's there are threads of this through science fiction. That the connection between this and religion is obvious, right? That like this segregated group that you know is carrying on this literally messianic mission in a way. Mm -hmm. If if what. Yeah, it's and I think all. Yeah, I think it's one of the other things going on there is that there aren't many things in our current civilization that last thousands of years, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but religious mm -hmm. traditions is one of them. Um, mm. So, if you want to point to an institution that knows how to keep itself going for long periods of time, religious structures are good ones. Although I will say there are really, really extensive. Um, non-written oral traditions. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, um, Australian Aboriginal groups have really, really impressive histories of oral storytelling where the integrity of the story is paramount to the point where in those stories are records of megafauna that died out thousands of years ago. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So this could be done in a way that's just, you know, an oral storytelling tradition. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's probably a maximum you can fit um thinking like you know although i hate the book fahrenheit 451 there's only so many books somebody can memorize um oh, yeah. if you're just trying to maintain uh but, but that kind of thing where you know there are other frameworks to maybe think of like knowledge preservation but you know the religions tend to be pretty good at institutionalizing it um mm -hmm. but they've also generally been pretty good about the fact that like i feel like there's a there was a lot of past like monk scientists mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of yeah um, you know, that that sort of framework of, you know, learning and knowledge also helped them kind of just explore other things um, simultaneously. So I don't think it's maybe too far out to imagine that there is some sort of, I don't want to say intellectual focused, yeah. but, but purely knowledge based focused. Um, I do have to note the shots fired at Ray Bradbury there. So, oh my God. Yeah. There's a lot of older authors. I just can't stand. In fact, I, what is it about Fahrenheit 451 that you hated? Um, I'm trying to remember now because I, I read it very recently. I was like, oh, this is like a book yeah. that everyone makes you read. It's got to be like pretty good, right? And in tip, well, it's like 50-50 whether or not I hate them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in my, it was like combination of like writing. I just didn't like his writing style. I thought it was very like simple um, and just kind of annoying. Um, also coupled with like the main character was just, like I know there were parts where you're not supposed to like him and those were fine. Mm. Um but it was just the complete lack of any like uh, impulse control, like and, like any intelligence. <laughs> and it's like I know that some of that is supposed to be like a society like this will mess you up. But also, I'm like this person is just stupid. Like, and it's like other people have to tell him what to do. Um, and so it's like all of the plot is not driven through the character that you're following. So it's just uh, really frustrating for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that it, it's it's interesting you point that out because like I haven't, I haven't read that in a very long, I mean, not since I was a kid, but. Ray Bradbury in his more poetic mode, like the Martian Chronicles or um, 
There's a short story he has about the house, right? Oh, Basically, There Will Come Soft Rains is literally one of my favorite yeah. short stories of all time. I think it's beautiful. So beautiful. And so that's why I was really excited to read Fahrenheit 451. And yeah. then I was like, this isn't <clears throat> writing. You just typed for like 150 pages. And then that's <laughs> I can say, I can say, don't don't even bother watching the Francois Truffaut movie. Uh, yeah, unfortunately <laughs> I did. And somehow it was worse. I was shocked. Yeah. That is an insulted, this is not writing. This is just you typing for 200 pages. That's a beautiful <laughs> takedown. I'm gonna. If you don't mind, I'm going to use that next time I'm on a. He is rolling report. over. Yeah. He's rolling in his grave. Um, no, yeah. no. I honestly, I didn't dislike it as much. If you want a writer that I will go gladly, like Time Machine, my my tears are, kill baby Hitler, and then pet a dinosaur, and then go and beat the hell out of J D. Salinger. Ah. That that's not like a really? solid number three. It might it might take overtake number two. It really depends wow. how often you make me read. I've read. More than I want to of Salinger, and I just want to punch him so hard. Um, well, this explains but, my, why he he was he he knew about this, and maybe that's why he was hiding. He it, oh, possible. that's true. Yeah. Actually, he has he was time travelers coming after him. <laughs> this is time traveling girl. Yeah. I won't leave me alone. Exactly. Um, no, but actually, so part of actually what I was thinking. Franny of and why, Zoe and Gabby. I, Franny and Zoe was actually what did it for me. That was like time machine. He's on the list. I'm going to beat him up. Um, no, so actually part of the reason why I'm so adamant about why I think it should be not digital-based is actually partially based on my reaction to the movie version of Fahrenheit 451. So mm, yeah. they made part of it digital in the collection of media that there were people attempting to digitally store things or not have it be physical books. And I think that there's something kind of impactful for us as human beings about a physical form yeah. of media, of knowledge, Um and I, I can't tell if this is just me. I, I, as a person, I'm a person who, you know, I don't have a Kindle. I just have a mountain of books mm -hmm. in my apartment because mm -hmm. I physically enjoy having a physical book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because I think there's something to be said that, you know, the knowledge is always there, whether or not, like, y you have to physically destroy that thing in order to make the knowledge inaccessible. A Kindle, you could just let it die battery-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Or the mm -hmm. screen could break, but, you know, the actual information is still stored on it. Um, so just kind of like the permanence of media as or in like information um is something that you get if it's actually physical versus if you try to embed it in these these intangible systems they're inherently interdependent on each other and extremely easy to just knock the linchpin out of yeah. the entire mm -hmm. world loses electricity in one go bye-bye internet like yeah. Yeah. society is completely collapsed therefore our framework for accessing a lot of knowledge is just yeah. gone and the heft of the volume kind of speaks to its importance and perhaps even seriousness like holding i love i'm reading a neil stevenson book you know i love neil stevenson you know his books are gigantic and patrick yeah. rothfuss mm -hmm. you know these guys who write these books they're like thousand pages um it's awesome to be able to hold them and books can them. last like yeah. the the new, there was a new york rare book festival that my friend went to and showed me a picture of a first edition version of like dante's inferno Mm, that's yeah. still oh, that is still a physical Something, document that yeah. exists. That's I, I was gonna say that's still alive. It was never alive, but it's still <laughs> around. Yeah. Um, which I think is like mind-boggling in a way that you know we have a lot of, and this is getting off topic, but a lot of planned obsolescence in a lot of our technologies. I have mm -hmm. a Mac that's sitting in my room from like you know, God, it's probably like six years old now, six, seven, eight years old, and it's kind of a brick. Like <laughs> it, it keeps its battery yeah. for maybe like twenty minutes, um, and. You know, not everything can be, you know, you know, your old Motorola flip phone that's just like very simple and still works. It, it's the more complicated you make these systems, the more fragile they kind of get. So yeah. 
I must say that reminds me of of quite beautiful. As we begin to wrap up here, uh, a beautiful kind of one of the coolest experiences I ever had actually. And Matt, I was, this is when we were working on Einstein, although unfortunately you were not here for this. Um, I was in London at the Royal Astronomical Observe, the Royal Astronomical Society. Society. Mm -hmm. And the archivist, the librarian there, um, we interviewed him all about Newton, Isaac Newton and his Newton's, he told us, of course, all about Newton writing the Principia Mathematica, his book that, you know, describe the paths of comets and the force of gravity and all these incredible things. And, uh, and then he says, would you like to see one? And I was like, well, he's, yes, we have, you know, of course, the first, you know, first edition of what? And he just pulls oh it off God. the shelf, you know? And so it's in the documents in the Einstein documentary. History, if you Google the history channel, Einstein documentary, you come across it. Um, we filmed him uh, going through it. And as he was going through it, I mean, I really had this feeling of like, we've opened the Raider, the lost Ark, or something like that. Like a, our faces are going to melt, but B it, when was that? That book is written in the 1500s. Six, the Principia 16, 1685, 1685. It just, it felt like one of those moments of this is what it would feel like, you know, imagine hundreds of years from now, somebody opening up a book that was really important. That kind of gave you the fundamentals of what you might need to, build your society on um super cool so uh matt what would you 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 uh are you you were you're all in on uh if you feel like what's interesting is we've come back around to the idea that the physical object the book um Mm -hmm. is is kind of the best um yeah yeah but i think is super important what gabby's been saying is that books don't speak for themselves you need people to not just teach you the language but to teach you how to read a book um it's a complicated piece of technology actually we're not used to thinking of it that way um so i like the idea of i think we need a, a priesthood that not only copies the books but then um tells people and they can't be celibate right because they have to teach their kids <laughs> how to do this so that that would be a huge mistake but then they're raising kids they don't have time to do all this work and so you know well it, then you put the kids to work that's the, that's, that's the true trick, right? that's true that's true. <laughs> yeah. that's true i see see this is a true parent yeah exactly <laughs> that's the trick is you you teach your kids early on how to do things like cook so yeah. they can cook food for you <laughs> or you just employ they make the ink like stuff like that yeah, yeah exactly the right there's lots yeah. they can do yeah there's yeah. lots of tedious parts of bookmaking that they can do yeah. which they would think is fun actually i, th- I think hopefully it would be fun. yeah we'll sewing the pages together i think like certainly that. my kids made tons of of books and similar oh, things yeah. out of scrap and garbage and things it's easier to do with staples though I learned that as a kid. St- so that might be a little awesome. bit of a newer invention as opposed to singly threading pages <laughs> yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like the, the way to really appreciate this is to, as you were saying that, Matt, and when you were saying about the importance that Gabby was bringing about making sure you have a person that can help you interpret the book, is that I have to throw away... I, I was thinking of, like, oh, when I read a book, I'm, I prefer to just sit down and read the book. But, of course, I'm bringing a lot of already... I've already uploaded, you know, I've got a lot of knowledge exactly. already. Yeah, an enormous amount, actually. How and much this schooling? Is, yeah, that's right. Oh. And yeah. a, a, an interesting illustration of this is um, actually the recent history of artificial intelligence research is that as people try to make machines that can do things that people can do, one of the things they keep discovering is that there's all of this background knowledge that is that we that oh, we absorb yeah. passively. Yeah. Um, and trying to teach all of that to a machine turns out to be extremely difficult and is essentially a problem they've given up on. They're 
there's different strategies now. But once upon a time, the idea is, well, we'll just, we'll just teach the machine all the basics about the world. Um, and that turns out to be really hard to do. But human brains do it really easily. So we're probably better off relying on our, our lump of gray matter um, than any fancy um, computerized vault. Yeah. Yeah, basically. If we can end on this, I was watching recently a great uh, Miyazaki movie, um, Kiki's Delivery Service. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So beautiful, right? Such a beautiful story. And it's a young girl is growing up and she's a witch. She, but, but everyone in this world, everyone accepts witch. It's not a strange thing. And she flies around on a broom and she, um, but she kind of lives by herself and um, she's growing up and, Anyway, at one point, she starts to lose her powers, and it's kind of implied that because she's working too hard, and she's also falling in love with this boy who's, and she's very confused by this whole situation, <laughs> and she loses her powers. Um, the, her cat, she can't understand her cat. When her cat speaks, he only sounds like he's meowing. He's not speaking Japanese to her in you know, fully understandable language. Yeah. And so... Um, a uh, friend of hers says, come look, come with me out to the country, you know, stay at my place. We'll hang out. We'll do nothing for a week. And uh, it just makes me think of Matt, what you were saying is that basically AI, we haven't yet quite learned that the AI, you know, we need to be able to teach the AI how to, that maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> well, that's a whole other question. Uh, yeah, that's Take a, a vacation. Episode. They learn that's the real, okay. that's where the real, go to Burning Man. That's where the real, <laughs> <laughs> real stuff happens. Um, Fantastic. Thank well, thank you both for helping save civilization a thousand years hence. Again, as Harry Selman says frequently in episode one and two uh, of uh, Foundation, we can't help the fall. We can't help the collapse, but maybe yep. we can lessen the fall. Mm -hmm. you know? I'll take it. Yeah. 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 Um, Gabby, uh, speaking of outstanding literature, <laughs> would you like to plug your... <laughs> upcoming yeah, story again. I'm really opening myself up for it too. Like someone could be like, mm, you just type this. Glass houses. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, upcoming, don't exactly have a publishing date yet, uh, but my story was accepted into the science fiction anthology um, Neon. It's it's Neon Hemlock's Luminescent Machinations, uh, Queer Tales of Monumental Invention. Um, so I'm very excited for that. Um, it's Basically, queer Pacific Rim in space is the plot line of the awesome. story. Um, it was actually it was when I was stuck on a bus, and I was like, I want to write something, and then an entire short story just kind of See? got itself written nice. on a bus That's ride. Great. But that just, was kind of typing, so <laughs> I yeah. feel bad. Uh, but that was just like this situation where you 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 were stuck out of your normal loop, and that's where creativity happens. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Um, so hopefully you enjoy it. I will one of the times. If one up, say, once I actually have a date for when it gets released, uh, give you guys all that fun yeah. information. And people, people may be listening to this now when it's already out. So again, the title of the book, oh. the title of the story again is uh, the anthology is uh, Luminescent Machinations, uh, Queer Tales of Monumental Invention, and my specific story is A Sword Between the Stars. A Sword Between the A Sword Between the Stars by Gabby Panisia. Wonderful, Matt. How about you? Any science fiction, fantasy? Bus rides coming? Um, no, the only fantasy involved is the idea that I get my life together and uh, can <laughs> can make it through the day. <laughs> Have you ever written science fiction or things like um, that? Fiction, fiction. Yeah, I mean, probably back in high school or something. I probably oh. wrote some some short stuff, but now I've been nonfiction for some time now. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is a, a there is 
as much truth in fiction as there is in nonfiction, perhaps, if it's done perhaps, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's done well. So, yes. Well, we love your nonfiction. Speaking of your nonfiction, Einstein's War, always available uh, everywhere uh, by great. Matthew Stanley. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there another project in the works? Einstein's uh, There is, but I, it's actually kind of a project about the end of the world, but I'll tell you more <laughs> as it develops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best tease ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a project about the end of the world, but I'll tell you what. The, I'll, I'll give you we, enough. Warning. We've got plenty of end of the world stuff going on at the moment. Okay. Days, so you don't need <laughs> it's another. true. It's true, unfortunately. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you to our hosts. And um, uh, thank you to every one of you who is a pa- who is, who are, who is a Patreon supporter. Every one of you who are Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash what the if. We have all kinds of cool rewards there for new members. And... Um, uh, I've been talking about. Oh, I mean, I'm so over promised and under delivered on this. But uh, uh, just before the show, Gabby, Matt, and I were talking about we're going to recording a video exclusively for Patreon members. Uh, we'll be doing that shortly, and that'll be up uh, probably hopefully in a week or so. Um, so we'll let you know about that. Uh, Patreon.com, and we just appreciate it. everything you do. You're you're really supporting our show for, uh, as I say, for uh, science communication, science education, and science fun. Is what we do here. So, um, Matt, uh, if you could help us, uh, speaking of the end of the world, to help people understand the the ritual that we do here at the end of the show. Well, you're sitting in case calmly, of civilization. Yeah, is, you're sitting yeah. calmly in your monastery, um, <laughs> taking care of the books that your parents and your grandparents have taught you to take care of. Uh, when all of a sudden, over the horizon comes a horde of ignorant, knowledge-seeking people, and you realize you have to help them learn how to make shoes, so you scream out, What the I love the idea that the teacher's image of the world is of a screaming horde of ignorant, knowledge-seeking people coming over the horizon. <laughs> You I must... can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Save your civilization. And we'll see you next week. Bye.